0: So this morning, what I am not about to do is talk about Back to Basics, and that hurts my heart. Um, We were in a series called Back to Basics for 18 weeks, and every week I would start out with prefacing what we've been doing, and I no longer have to do it, and this is me struggling to let that go. Um, Literally last (laughs) week, we recapped Back to Basics, where we talked about all these basic Christian practices. We spent a week talking why we do them, and then a week talking how, and Last week we recapped it and finished up and I was talking to my wife afterward and was like, I'm so sad because Back to Basics was awesome. It went so well. And I just wanna just name that. Like the Lord, seriously, y'all, I know it's church so we typically say things like this, but seriously, God was at work. Two people came to believe in Jesus during that series. Two people that would not, who said, I do not follow Jesus began following Jesus in that series. I, I had multiple people, and this is all Holy Spirit stuff. I had I had multiple people tell me through random mediums like email or Instagram DM or in person, you know, that, I've, man, I haven't worshiped like this before. Man, I, I really was not a fan of church, but God, I just, I've loved this. And I just want to note that that's not human stuff, that's, that's God's stuff. And if you've been here, you know how that series was put on my heart, and it was definitely not because of me. I tripped and fell through the whole series, but the Holy Spirit was just present. And uh, I just want to like, say like in front of everyone, God, thank you for the work you did in Back to Basics. And, and that it's not even done. I think there's going to be a lot of fruit that's going to continue to come from that. And so anyway, thank you guys for participating. If you're new here and weren't for back there for Back to Basics, so glad you're here. God's about to do something else, so I'll see it. All right, um, so... New conversation today. Um, I titled this teaching, Live Your Best Life. So if you're taking notes, that's the thing. I made a slide for it, didn't love the slide, so there's no slide, um, but it's called Live Your Best Life. It was like a, uh, like a stripped down, uh, really like modern, it was white with just black font, Live Your Best Life, and it felt very copy shoppy and uh, I didn't do it. So anyway, um, but a story about the teaching, Live Your Best Life. Um, I've, I've referenced this before, um, but I remember hearing about this interview with Tom Brady on a show called 60 Minutes, and it's just kind of where I sit down and have a one-on-one chit-chat with famous people, I guess, and uh, Tom Brady was talking, and if you don't know who Tom Brady is, he is the quarterback for a football team, the New England Patriots, and whether you care about sports or not, the Super Bowl is like the, the most watched event in the world or one of the most, and Tom Brady is a quarterback that's won like five Super Bowls, I think. Um, At the time of the interview, he had only won three, um, but he won the MVP for all the Super Bowls. He is the face of like the highest reward in terms of the most viewed thing, right? Whether you care about football or not, he's a big deal, okay, culturally speaking. And so they're sitting down talking to Tom Brady, and the guy's like, at this point, he wasn't married, and so they're like, Tom, you've won three Super Bowls. You're going to go down as like one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, and if you care about that sort of thing, it's a big deal. And you're a multimillionaire, and you're known as the most eligible bachelor in the world. And what's it like being you, right? And because, you know, if, if you grew up ever wanting to be a football star, Tom, you wouldn't have even dreamed as big as what Tom Brady's actually doing with his life. I mean, it's unreal what he's done. And I, I watched it a couple of times to get the quotes. It was really interesting. Specifically, he answered this after the guy said, what's it like being the most eligible bachelor in America, which is super I don't know how you take that question, uh, but this is what he said back. Um, he said, I don't think I sleep any better at night being that. He just kind of like laughed it off. Like, I, I don't know. It doesn't really change my REM cycle or anything. I just, like, it doesn't really do a whole lot. And then he goes on to say, Why do, this is a direct quote, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there is something greater out there for me? Maybe a lot of people would say I reach my goal, my dream, but me, I think there's got to be more than this. And the reporter responds by going, what's the answer? And he says, it's Jesus. No, he didn't say that. Um, He said, uh, he said, uh, he literally, the reporter goes, then what is it? What do you think it is? What's the more? And Tom Brady literally responds, I wish I knew. And Tom Brady is being incredibly transparent. I'm actually, it's so awesome that he was willing to like say this out loud. So I'm not using that's the extent I'm using Tom Brady, is just to give us something. I'm not saying anything about Tom's spiritual life. Do we hear that? All right, he'll never hear this. You know, maybe. But Tom, respect. Thank you for being transparent with us. Um, but he goes, I wish I knew. And there's this moment where a guy that really had accomplished just a ludicrous amount of things in the public sphere, as much as you can accomplish for the crowds, goes, it has got to be more than this. And you're like, really? If there's more for you, there's a never-ending amount. For I'm never going to get there if Tom's not there, right? Like, if he hasn't accomplished it, I'm never going to accomplish it, right? There's got to be more. And we're going to join a conversation today in Matthew chapter 6 where, where Jesus is going to challenge the notion that, no, hold on, that's not how to say it. Jesus is going to address two different kinds of lives. A life lived, be, it's, a life lived at its best for the crowd's Versus a life lived at its best in the closet. In a culture that says, reserve your best for the audience. Jesus is gonna say, no, reserve your best for the private places of your life. And I wanna dig in here and read this passage. I think it has potential to change, to totally shift the trajectory of our spiritual walk with God. It's about life in the inner closet Time spent when the door is closed, no one can see you but your Father in heaven. And Jesus is going to say, Hey, when culture asks for you to put your best on display for all to see, I'm saying go where no one can see you and give your best there. And your Father in heaven will reward you like nothing else can. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today. And if you're using one of our blue Bibles, that's on page 473. I'm going to have this 17 gallon bottle of water up here for when I get parched. It's like 16, 32 ounces. Um, I don't know how much that is uh, in gallons. Is 32 ounces a gallon? Yeah, fourth. What? Fourth a gallon. Fourth a gallon. So, all right, that's <laughs> completely underwhelming. Um, all right, um, so uh, so let's talk about it. Let's set the scene for Matthew chapter six. So Jesus has just had this epic Sermon on the Mount. It could have been all in one setting. It could have been multiple teachings, but either way, we're leaving behind Matthew five. Where Jesus, it's, if, you're, if you've got a red letter Bible, it's all red where we're at right now. And he's covered things like the blessed are used, the salt and light, anger, lust, divorce, loving enemies, giving to those in need. And now he's gonna transition into prayer. And this teaching today is gonna have really just two sides, uh, Matthew 6, verse five, and Matthew 6, verse six, okay? And so um, if you turn there, read this with me, Matthew chapter six, verse five. Jesus says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I'm gonna pray. God, will you just work in your word? And um, you know how excited I am about this, um, but sometimes my excitement can lead to chaos. And so will you help me to say everything in a way that is helpful? God, will you, will you help our hearts, Lord? Uh, we have to do our own work to be open to what you have to say, but anywhere where there's room for your Holy Spirit to help our hearts hear and receive your words, Lord, um, help us, God. Um, I pray, God, for just hope to be in this word. God, that that this word today will give us hope in in just the depth of relationship that's available with you. Thanks for loving us, for being attentive. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus says, uh, we're gonna divide this into two. So verse five, he goes, hey, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. So to give some context here, at this point in time, in their little space in Jerusalem, religious people would stand kind of like, literally just imagine the corner of 8th and Wedgwood where people are walking down, or maybe in 12 South, where people are walking down sidewalks. But at this point in time, it would have been apparently socially acceptable and not even acceptable, but cool, I guess, for them to pray out loud to pray really sick prayers. Like, have you ever heard a prayer that you were like, man, that was a good prayer? People had gotten really good at that. They had apparently made like a profession out of it. Like, man, i if you need someone to pray in public, call on me. So these guys would pray in public and it would be really awesome. And we even get insight in some of these prayers in other passages where they're like, man, thank you for making me me and not them. You're so good, God. They would like pray things like that. And so Jesus had stepped into a culture where it was acceptable for religious people to boast via their prayer life. But it was cold-hearted, it was for the applause of man. And, and Jesus is, is really warning against this. He goes, hey, if, if these people, beware the people that, that give their best prayer life to the masses, for they've received their reward. Now for us, that may not be a cultural tension we're having to navigate, right? Uh, when's the last time you were tempted? to go out on Broadway and pray super loudly for all to hear, right? That's not culturally cool anymore. So I acknowledge that there's a little bit of a gap here. We're not struggling with the tension of of taking pride in our elegant prayers. No one is about to stand up and interrupt me and pray some beautiful poetic prayer. If you did, that would be weird and cool, maybe. Honestly, I'd I'd welcome that. Um, And then we'd we'd decipher it and discern it with the Holy Spirit and community. Um, tangent so uh, we're not navigating that tension however we do relate to a culture that says show the best of your life to the crowds right when you experience something great we should see it like when you love something we should see it when something's awesome we should see it when you're happy we should see it when you're fake happy we should see it I was talking to a friend who's just here for the summer, talking to him on Thursday, and he said someone called him and was like, hey, how's Nashville? He went, it's actually going amazing. And they said, really, you don't really post about it. (laughs) That's the culture we live in, right? Everyone, like you giggle at that, but you're like, we know that's normal. Like, that's not weird, that's our normal. Everything's good? Hey, how are you? Haven't seen a story lately, you all right? It's like, since when did like Instagram story equal like mental health? You know, it's like, that's not the equation, but that is the culture we live in, right? That as we go through life, and maybe this isn't you, but I think a lot of us, as we experience life, we find ourselves in a spot where we're going, oh, I should post that. Oh, okay. Okay." We're seeing everything. I have, I'll keep this very vague. I have people in my life that see their families through this lens. When the kid's doing something cute, when the relative's doing something, it's like, we got to show the world, right? And I'm not, this is not an indictment on all of social media, although I could go there if I was in my flesh, Um, (laughs) But it is going, hey, beware, beware, when like the aim of your life is to show and demonstrate and display your best to the crowds. But it's not just about being public, it's about giving our best to the crowds for the sake of applause, to be seen. It's being sucked into the black hole of fiending for the applause of man. And I'm gonna keep using social media here, I know it applies to more, it's just where my brain's at this week, all right? Instagram, like I've read an article. Uh, I can't remember where it was, but I posted it on my social media, <laughs> ironically. A uh, little, yeah. Um, <laughs> I see the contradiction there. Um, but, uh, but it talked about how um, people that created social media hopped off of it because they were paid a lot of money to create addictive technology, to where literally when you saw the heart icon with the number, whatever that number was, whether it was four or 4,000, something in your brain was released. And that's addictive technology. So that once that goes off, it it, it gives you pleasure, and then you come back for more. And Jesus goes, watch out for the allure of the applause of man. He goes, because when you've been seen, you have gotten your reward. Jesus goes, when you've been, when your aim is to be seen by man, when the best of your life is for the crowds, when they see you, you have just experienced the depths of your reward, which is pretty surreal to think about. It's like, wait, just when they've seen me, yeah. When they've seen you do the thing, like you've experienced the depths of your reward. Have you ever had a moment where you experienced notoriety? on whatever scale, right? So notoriety for me is much different than notoriety for some other people, right? So notoriety for me is like, oh my goodness, my likes just hit triple digits for the first time ever, right? Some of you go, that's a ton. And some of you go, that is literally hilarious that you took pride in that moment, right? But notoriety is a sliding scale, right? But have you ever had a moment where you've experienced like the attention of man, the applause of man, where people have seen you and it felt pretty good. From my experience, you've either had just enough of it to want it again, or you've had a lot of it and realized it really doesn't do a whole lot, right? Like I'm friends, we're in Nashville, right? So I'm friends with artists on different scales, but it really is the same story. You don't talk to an artist that goes, man, I love being on tour. The feeling of being barely known by everyone and not known at all by anyone close to me is amazing. I need more shallow relationships in my life. Give me bigger crowds so I can be known by no one in the midst of it, right? Like no one is actually saying that, but isn't it easy to like fall for the allure of the crowds? And Jesus goes, man, a life lived for the crowds? To be seen by them at all. That's the reward. Has anyone ever experienced this? Have you ever wished to be noticed by a lot of people, and then you had that moment where you were noticed, and then just like that, it went away, and you were like, huh, that's it, right? And while we may not be tempted to pray in public and be noticed spiritually, I do believe this is a temptation for all of us. However, I don't want to skip over that Jesus is saying, if your best If the best you have with God is in front of everyone, that's not great. Like I felt like this morning I was going over my sermon and as I was preaching, I started preaching to myself and I got hype because I was like, if Joshua, if this is it, he's talking to me. If the best I have to offer God, if the most I communicate with God, if the most I talk about God is on Sunday, Jesus is going, Joshua, be warned. That's the extent of your reward. If all I get is someone going up going, man, back to basics was awesome, way to go. But during the week, during my work week, as a home of my wife, if, if I'm not like loving God and have a relationship with him, Jesus is going, that's it. That's all you get. And I felt God telling me like, hey, don't let your best, your best religion or your best walk with me be here. And so while I know we're not tempted to go on the street corners and say elegant prayers, I do want to say, if the best experience you have with God is here, there is so much more. And a life lived in the public sphere guarantees nothing in the private sphere. We know this. This is like the story of Hollywood, right? Oh my gosh, that couple seems so... This is my... I don't know what this voice says. Oh my gosh, that couple seems so happy. I can't believe you had an affair. Oh my gosh, that artist seems so happy. They're addicted to drugs. Oh my gosh, they seem so happy. They committed suicide. Like, oh my, what happened, Right? We live in a culture where our happiness or our fake happiness is for the public, but it guarantees nothing in private. And I think Jesus is trying to show us this. The best your life has to offer is not for the crowds. But then he's going to transition. He doesn't leave us like in the despair, right? He doesn't just go, hey, stop being public people, like invest in the private life. But he goes, hey, here's what it looks like. So he's going to transition. Okay, so we're going to move. We've been in, this is what it can feel like to look like to have your best for the crowds. But now let's look at what it looks like to have your best for the closet. So he's gonna switch it up, he's gonna go, in verse six, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And already, I'm like, okay, this is really cool from Jesus here. I kinda went on a tangent this week, I don't even know if this is helpful to say out loud, but here we go. I was like, if Jesus was a false teacher, this is a terrible piece of instruction. He goes, look, I'm not like peddling a false gospel here, your Father is real. And if you want to know how real he is, go alone where no one can see you. You want to know a place where I cannot be wooed by like emotion or the music or whatever? It's when I'm in a closet and it's quiet and it's just me. And, and Jesus goes, hey, to start your relationship with God, if you want to know God, experience the Father, go to where you are completely alone, where you are completely alone. In private, And he's getting at this kind of obvious thing that I think sometimes we can divorce from spirituality, but some of, the, some of the most memorable things, the things that bond us to people happen in the private places of our lives, right? Like, like if the depths of our friendships or our relationships were in the public sphere, we all can logically connect the dots. That wouldn't be very deep, right? So like for me a marriage example, right? It's felt blatantly obvious, but if the best Leah and I had to offer was in public, I think we could all safely assume, Ah, oh, but their marriage isn't super good. <laughs> like, because if you've ever even been in dating relationships, you know that like the, the private places where really awesome things happen. Like that's where I get to see sides of Leah, both shallow and deep that no one else gets to see. Like, she gets to see shallow sides and deep sides of me that no one else gets to see. And it's those things, it's those private moments that no one's going to know about. Unless we choose to tell the story, which we're extrovert, we probably will tell you. But, but you, didn't, you weren't there for it, right? It was just Leah and I. And so, but there's moments in the private places where things are forged, things happen. It's the same thing with friendships. If, if you have a group of 10 friends, but you're only always just the 10 of you together... There's just, chances are you don't get to have a lot of those like one-on-one vulnerable things that like really forge deep friendship. You know what I'm saying? Like it's in the private places. It's the same thing with music. I was talking to Will this week and he was talking about how he's, uh, I don't think this will embarrass you. Let me know. I'll take it out of the 11. Um, but but uh, he was talking about how he's been on tour and, and he, he had a show where everyone knew the words. Like he was like, oh my gosh. It's like the first time, right? The, the, the crowd like was singing his song with him. And he was like, oh my gosh. But he was like, but that's not, the thing. That's not where the magic happens. And he was like, you got to be careful. You can't flip it and go, oh, I'm writing so the crowds will know my words, right? As an artist, I don't know this, but I'm assuming the magic happens in the private place where you're inspired to write something, right? That's your gift. That's one of the ways you communicate. And so the magic happens when he's alone in that room and he gets this like moment of inspiration, right? It's in the private places. And Jesus Jesus is going to say, it's the same thing with the Father. It's in the private places, where you grow in intimacy, where you get to know the Father. The Father wants our private life. I want you to take a second to just sit and think about what life is like when you're alone. Just take a second to picture whenever you're alone and you know you're alone and you're in the private place. That may be at home, if you're a parent, it may not be at home, maybe in the car, but just think about where is the place where you know you're alone? And I wonder what's happening there. What are the things when you're alone, what does your mind go to? What are some of the actions you go to? Now, for some of us, alone time is a very good thing and a positive thing. So I'm about to say some things that are heavier, but I know that alone time can also just be a good time where you just read a book. But I also know that sometimes alone time is where we feel our depression at the heaviest, where we feel addiction, where we feel darkness. I just wanna name this. We live in a culture that goes, alone time is, is like our like place to live in darkness, to live in isolation. Alone time is where we hold all of our secrets that we're never gonna tell anyone else. And what I love about this passage is Jesus is giving us some insight He wants to reshape for us what alone time can look like. For some of us, alone time is synonymous with loneliness, right? When we're alone, we are lonely. And logically, that makes sense. But Jesus goes, no, when you're alone, your Father is with you. Just like the song, he sees you, he knows you, and he wants to reward you. I want to dig in here. He says, pray to your Father I don't know if you know this, but this is like one of the greatest insights in scripture. Jesus goes, when you're alone, you can actually talk to your father in heaven. You can do that. You can talk, you can listen, you can sing, you can be with your father. And he's not just saying this as a a sweet anecdote. In Mark 1, at the beginning of his ministry, he goes away for 40 days and does what? What does he do? He prays. For 40 days. Luke 5, 16. Anybody? He often slips away to what kind of places? Desolate. To To what? To pray. This is, even if you haven't been here, you're going to know the answers. In Mark chapter 14, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, what's he do right before he's arrested? He prays at the beginning, in the middle, at the end, at the heights, at the depths. Jesus, alone with the Father, So he's not just saying this as like a sweet metaphor. From experience, Jesus is saying, when you're alone, go with your father. He sees you. He sees you in secret and he will reward you. I wanna break that down. God sees you and what a gift it is to be seen. In an ever-moving city like Nashville, have you ever showed up to a crowd and felt unseen? Have you ever walked into a room of extroverts and you were the introvert peacemaker and you didn't know how to talk in that room? Shout out my wife. That's how I know that can happen. She's just too sweet. It's a good thing. I'm gonna keep talking in this voice and going on this tangent. No, I'm not. So um, (laughs) let's, let's get back to it. But have you ever walked into a room, into a church, and felt overlooked, unseen? Like, gosh, thinking about college, the first couple of weeks you're we trying to find the social club or whatever you call it, Christian or public school, like frat, sorority, social club, whatever it is, and just been like, wow, my hands are sweaty, this is awful. I when will I feel noticed? But Jesus says, you're never more seen than when you're alone with your father. When you talk to God, you are seen. You are noticed. The little things about you that you don't feel like anyone notices. The Father sees you for who you actually are. And I love, I love how sweet it is to be seen. I love being seen. Not by the, this is, I love doing this. But what I'm talking about is being seen by people I know love me is so fun. The other day, or this is actually a couple years ago. The other day, two years ago, I was jogging and... Uh, <laughs> like it was yesterday, um, but it wasn't. It was like a thousand days ago. So I was jogging and I was running out of breath and I was just gassed, but I really wanted to finish this run. And I remember I pictured my dad. I have a very good relationship with my dad. And he was he was watching me in my head and he was saying like, come on, you got it. And I could cry right now. Um, I really could. It's, it's right up here. The tears are. Um, but uh, I remember going like, I remember just running so hard. It felt like I just like cranked it up like 10 levels because I just thought about, what if my dad who loves me was watching me right now? And I just ran hard. And I just like in that moment, just something connected, like it's just powerful to be seen by people you love. And I just want you to know that no matter what your earthly relationships are like, when you're alone with the Father, you are seen by your greatest supporter. You are seen by someone who loves you. And how I know this, this isn't just a sweet thing I'm saying, because the next thing he says, Is your father who sees you will what? Reward you. What kind of father rewards someone, right? What's the heart of a father who sees you in private, talking to him, and rewards you? I don't know what you come in with, what your picture of the inner closet life is, what it looks like to be alone talking to God, the things you've... Nope. (laughs) Spiritual warfare, I'm telling you just kidding. I don't know what your understanding of God is or the things you feel when you start talking. If it feels like you're just talking to the ceiling or if you're talking to a disappointed dad, your father who sees you will reward you. That's a true picture of the father. That's what Jesus says. And I want to look into this reward, this idea of reward, okay? A life cultivated in the inner closet will experience rewards that only God can give. And I believe this happens on some known levels and some unknown levels, and both are amazing. So on the known levels, this is just some things I nerded out about. I think there's more examples, but one of the known rewards of a life in private with the Father is relationship. Genuine, reciprocal relationship. Another thing about my dad, we grew up going to Tennessee football games. I love Tennessee football because of that. I'm just so diehard and miserable because we're awful. My favorite thing about Tennessee football games was kind of split in half. One was the game, but the other part was the fact that I had to be in the car with my dad for like five hours. And when you're in the car driving somewhere, you don't have a lot of options of what to do other than talk. And me and my dad had a great relationship. And so I just remember it just felt good to just be with my dad and just talk and listen and tell stories and whatever else. And I think sometimes we underestimate the power of just being in relationship with the father And Jesus, I believe that a reward of the inner closet life is that you get to have reciprocal relationship with the Father. And I emphasize reciprocal because right now we're in a culture that go, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And that is the message of the gospel. But also there is power when you love God. There's such power. When you're not just going, you love me, but I love you too. I love you there is so much power when you like come home at the end of the day and you've reserved this inner closet moment and you can go, God, I know you see me. I remember seasons where I doubted that with all of my heart. I remember doubting with all of my heart that you ever were real or saw me or loved me, but now I know it's true and I love you back. One of the rewards that we know about of the inner closet is a reciprocal love between you and the Father. And if you're here and you don't relate to what I just said, that is waiting for you. I believe that. You can be in a reciprocal, loving relationship with your creator, the Father. Another reward uh, would be like a peace that surpasses understanding, like in Philippians four. talks about as you pray, you will receive a peace, a supernatural peace as we go through a life full of ups and downs. Another reward would be hope. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is something that will happen that has not yet come. We get to hope in the Lord. Another word we know about is in a life that is fast paced, prayer slows down and notices things. At the end of my day, uh, for like a whole year, I need to get back into this rhythm. I'm trying to figure out what it looks like in marriage. But for a long time, at the end of my day is when I would pray to God the most and I would journal and I would just write things down that happened. I don't like writing things. So it was very brief. Coffee at eight, met him at nine, did this at 11. I would just write it down. And then I would just look at the page and then I'd pray over the day I just had. And it was so powerful. I slowed down and noticed the amazing people I saw, where God was pointing something out, where he put a burden on my heart. Prayer does that. When we slow down and just notice things with the Lord, it's a powerful reward. But also there are unknown rewards. And I think this is equally amazing. I remember Dave Clayton, the guy that he started Ethos and he's been discipling me for like eight years now. He was praying over me and he said, God, will you give him secrets? just between you and him. And when he prayed that, one, just shattered my whole heart. Uh, but, but two, I was like, that's a powerful insight. I can think of God so distantly and vaguely, but God said, will you, or Dave, <laughs> Dave said, God, will you give him like tailor-made secrets just for him that just you two know about, that no one else gets to know about? And that shifted something in my heart. And I believe that there are secrets and that's like a vague word, but there are secrets that are in store for just you and just God. There are things that God wants to tell you, that he wants to give you some insight in, that he doesn't wanna tell me, because I'm not you. So he's just gonna tell you about it. I believe there is that kind of availability with God. I thought about some moments that I've had, like in the private place of my life, where like some of the unknown rewards came to my door that I couldn't have known, it wasn't promised in scripture, but I just received it because of a prayer life. It's like the Back to Basics whole series happened as I was praying and I swear, he just like dropped it in my brain. I didn't like brainstorm, it, didn't like cultivate it, it just happened. And that's a weird thing. There's been people that I've prayed for that have ended up at Ruby in the most random way, but God gave me insight. Like he said, I'm putting these people in your heart, pray for them. We prayed for them, they showed up here. I can tell you that story later. It is insane how they got here. Makes no logical sense. God did it, God put them here. There's, there, I remember like there's, there's a lot of images he gives me, a lot of tools that he gives me to help disciple people, and it comes in prayer. I'm just giving you some of my personal examples, but what I want you to know is that there are things that God wants to tell you, wants to share with you. there are things God wants to put on your heart that are just for you. There are secrets that God wants for you, and that will happen in the inner closet. But one thing that Jesus does not say is, "When will this happen?" He leaves this vague. And so some of you have tried prayer for a few weeks, and it's just like, I don't know what these rewards are, but I certainly haven't tasted them. Some of you may even feel like you've been in there for years. I cannot promise you when. I can promise you it will happen. Jesus promises it. I know far too many people who have experienced this. I've experienced it. So I can't tell you it's going to happen next week. God is not stuck in time like we are, and he's certainly not as impatient as we are. So as you pray, I would just encourage you to take heart. The other week I accidentally referenced Finding Nemo with Keep Swimming, but that's a really good piece of advice that I found to be helpful. Keep trying, keep going, keep praying. He promises reward. It will come. But I wanna end by getting practical here, okay? Holding doing, all right? If you zoned out, zone back in, shake your shoulders, stand in the back, do something, all right, because we're gonna get practical here, all right, I love it. Love getting practical. A few questions to help stir us. What if we, the public, never saw the best you had to offer? What if we never saw it? What if only God saw the best you had to offer? And what I mean by that, to get practical, what if God had the best of your energy, your emotional availability, your listening ear? What if that started with him? And a phrase that he put in my heart, a question he gave me that I thought was really powerful, is instead of giving God our leftovers, what if we gave the world our overflow? This is how it works with God. When we come to him with our leftovers, we're tired or fatigued, we're distracted. When we go to God first, it energizes everything. God is not addition. He's not adding a weight to your life. He's not making you more tired, more exhausted, although those seasons can feel so real. But when God goes first, everything works out. Do you guys remember the jar example with the rock, the small rock, the sand and the water? How if you do the small stuff first, the big rock won't fit. But if you do the big rock first, everything fits around it. That's a really good example of life with God. When God goes first, everything else fits. Oftentimes when we leave God for last, he doesn't quite fit. Does that make sense? So will we give God our leftovers or will we be a people at the ruby that give the world our overflow? I think that's powerful. All right, what does this look like? I think it's important that we identify our inner closet, the actual literal space. So for me in middle school, it was a literal closet and there were clothes hanging up and I would pray and my t-shirts would be hitting my head and I'd have a prayer list right here, and it was probably terrible for my back, and I'm paying consequences for it now. So maybe not do that. But um, at that time, that closet was the most, it felt so private. I could slide the door closed, and it was just me in a tight, warm, hot space praying. Right. So I don't know what that is for you, but I think it's important that we identify where is a place where you can just guarantee it, I'm in a private place here, uninterrupted. There was a season in my life where this was my car in the parking lot before my work started. I literally go park an hour early and I just knew that I could pray in my car and unless something bad was happening, I would not be interrupted, right? Because I was getting robbed or something. But otherwise I knew my car would be safe. So I think it's important that we examine our life and literally practically ask ourselves, where is my physical, literal inner closet where I can shut the door and be in secret? That is important that we have that, all right? Um, uh, hold on. I kind of covered it. Okay, yeah, I covered it quicker than I thought I would. Um, I thought I had a lot more to say about that. Um, But I just wanna say, this might be a space in your life that right now is used for darkness, escape, distraction, apathy. But places, literal places can be rededicated and become empowered. I was with Dawe a few weeks ago, and one of the things we did before we left was he prayed over his bedroom. Like God A bedroom can symbolize a lot of things, but for this man, we're gonna pray that this would be a place of worship, that this room would remind him of prayer. It would be a sanctuary. And I just wanna invite you to dream. What if there's a space in your life that right now is used for distraction, for addiction, for darkness? What if it could be a place that when you walk to the doorway, you're reminded of worship, of the goodness of God What if you went home and just prayed over a space and said, God, this room, this is what it's represented so far, but here's the shift we're gonna make. I think there's power in that. So when you identify your inner closet, I wanna invite you to pray over that space sometime this week, to literally go to that physical space and pray out loud over that space and go, God, I want this place from here on out to be an anchor for me, to be a stronghold for me, that I can stand here, I can pray, does that make sense? Okay, I sense, that, I sense that I may have went too long. Are we, are we here still? It's okay if you're not. If I went too long, I'm sorry. Please hear me saying, identify inner closet, pray over that space. When you have a space that every day you can go to and know you're gonna talk to the Father there, that will shift your life. I can't say when, I can't say in a week, but I can promise you it will. And so I want us to circle up and share two things briefly of like five minutes I'd love for you to share in groups, where's an inner closet for you? And you don't even have to say that you've prayed there ever. But what I'm really asking is, where's a place that you can guarantee, this is a private place for me where I can truly get away? I'd love for you to share that. And then secondly, have you ever experienced or wanted to experience a deep prayer life with God? And why, why is that important to you or why not? So you might be going, I've never actually really wanted that. I'm scared, I don't know if he's real, I'm freaked out. That's okay. Or you might go, I've wanted it, but I'm scared of being disappointed. You can say that, but I'd love for us to share. So where's the inner closet? And is a deep prayer life with God something you want? Why or why not? Does that make sense? So right now, I'm gonna invite you to circle up chairs in groups of three or five, and I want you to share that with each other. So identify an inner closet and name where it is. Just tell somebody, this is probably where it'd be. I may never use it, but this is where it'd be. This is my private place. And then also, this is where I'm at with wanting a deep prayer life with God. Introduce yourselves. We'll do this for like four minutes, and then we'll go to communion. Where is, where is your inner closet? Whether you pray there or not, where's your place of privacy? And secondly, is a deep prayer life with the Father something you want? Why or why not? Also, you can say, I don't know. You do not have to answer. It's okay. Um, all right. You guys are doing amazing. Uh, wow. I... I'm so encouraged by your participation. Um, I'd love to take it to the big room. Hey, real quick, I'd love to hear. Um, I'd love to hear. What are some places that you've identified as, whether you plan on praying there or not? You can just go. I know this is a place that's a that's a private place for me. I'd love to hear the various ideas because this will be very different for a lot of people. So, spat out some ideas. Let me hear you. What are some places that y'all identified as private places? In the car. James said in the car. As you're, as, as you're driving, parked, what? Uh, driving. Yes. Driving. Awesome. What else? What are some other private places for you? Anywhere in nature. Anywhere in nature. Awesome. Literal closet. literal closet. Yeah. I loved it. Back problems aside. What? what? Were you saying something? The bathroom? people will respect that space. (laughs) Hey, whatever works. Hey, I don't care. One or two more. I'd love to hear others. Did we nail it with car, bathroom, and bedroom and closet? Did we get it? (laughs) Nature? Uh, I guess we probably did, honestly. What else would it be? Um, Also, I just want to share something from this week just just to give a testimony. I was able to to gather with uh, two of my brothers up here, Sam and Caleb. Sam texted me last two weeks ago and was like, hey, I just wanna get together and pray. And uh, we just got in a room and without any organization, just prayed for like an hour and a half with no structure, just let's just pray whatever the Lord puts on our heart. And it just gave me an insight on like, I think there's more. I think there's a lot more available. So to enter closet prayer life for you on your own, being with the Father, but also just, if you need help jumpstarting your prayer life and just being with God, holler at a friend or two and go, what if we just hung out for an hour or two and just prayed however we felt led to pray? I've just found that to be super powerful. And so, yeah, throughout all this, um, if you ever wanna talk with me, please come holler at us, um, come holler at us and me, and I'd love to talk with you. I believe that this is, this is the thing, that, that Jesus was being just so intentional here when he was telling us to reserve our best life for our inner closet life with the Father. He does see you, he does know you, he will reward you. If this church is, is a church of people that are in that inner closet going after the Father, we will, there, we will bear fruit, 10 out of 10, um, every time. So um, we're gonna go grab communion um, together. Uh, if you haven't been here before, um, we invite anyone and everyone to join communion. We use communion to remember uh, that God took on flesh. That's why we eat the bread. It reminds us that God took on flesh, um, but that he didn't just take on flesh, but we drink the cup to remember he shed his blood for us. And so when we take communion, we remember that, that God became man and offers us salvation through his death and resurrection. So that's how we do communion. So we can straighten our chairs up and then we can stand and exit toward the middle. Communion's at the front and at the back. And so um, wherever you're closest to, whatever corner you're closest to, head to that corner, and grab communion. And I just invite you to pray. Pray thanksgiving to Jesus for the salvation that's in his name. Um, pray over your prayer life. Uh, yeah, God, what's my inner closet? What do you have for me there? Give me courage, give me endurance. As you're grabbing communion, you can keep moving. I'm gonna pray over you, but please keep walking. God, thank you for our church. Will you anoint our inner closets, Lord? I pray that every individual here um, will identify a place, a physical place, and God, that that will be a place of commitment, that for the, the rest of this year, will we just be an inner closet people? and trust you to cultivate something special in us. In Jesus' name, amen.